welcome to the Office 365 Developer Podcast, the only show focused on Office 365 development where Rich and I talk to the experts from all over the globe coding on the Office 365 Developer Platform. For more information on Office 365 development, please visit dev.office.com and follow us on the hashtag Office365Dev. All right. Well, welcome to episode 92 of the Office 365 Developer Podcast. It's an exciting week. We've had a lot of feedback from the community wanting to hear more and more about SharePoint. I think that, honestly, if you look at the Office 365 Developer community as a whole, I'd be really curious, but I, I have a feeling a very large portion of that community came from doing SharePoint development. I know that's really my background and, and our guest today, I know a lot of his backgrounds there as well. Um, and so this was a huge week for SharePoint, lots of big announcements. In fact, they were made today. So this show, typically we record these shows a little bit early, but this week, because of some of the announcements that the SharePoint team were making on the uh, 4th of May, may the 4th be with you, uh, we decided to push it a little bit longer. And so uh, we're going to get to talk all about all the good new SharePoint stuff that was discussed in the event today. Uh, so that's really kind of the big focus of the show. And, and given it has such a SharePoint focus, I thought I'd, I'd grab someone that has some of the the biggest history in the SharePoint space and someone that's not a unknown to the show because he's been a guest on the show. And we even had a little fun with him, did a little podcast punk a while back. I don't know if he remembers that, but <laughs> he anyway, does. he does. He does. So we have Eric Shups. So Eric, thanks for being on the call. Thanks for, for having the me. Podcast. Again, awesome. So just, you know, we're going to go into a lot more detail, but let me just get the quick litmus test from you you know was it an exciting event you felt like good good uh, things discussed well i think depending on the audience that you're in everyone got a little bit of something i think the developer community uh as they usually do in these sorts of events got uh, very little uh out of it uh which isn't surprising i guess from a marketing type of perspective but um you know hopefully over the next few months we'll be talking a lot more about the development stuff that's coming uh, down the pike for people to get excited about because they certainly didn't hear a lot about it today. Yeah, you know, that was kind of the same take I had out of it. Having, I know that you probably had some of the biggest runway of knowledge about this. I know back in the MVP Summit way back in, I guess, November of 2015, they picked like a, a kind of a small, intimate group to get some really early feedback on what they were doing around the future of SharePoint. I know you were a part of that. And, you know, in my mind, some of the more groundbreaking things they were doing was actually on the development side. And it kind of got um, very little, it kind of, they, they touched on it a little bit, but didn't really get, go into a lot of detail. Um, so we'll go into that in more detail as we get deeper in the show. I wanted to highlight some of the updates of the week. And, and as you might imagine, a lot of these are going to be focused pretty heavily around uh, the new SharePoint updates that were announced today. So there is uh, on the official office blogs, there's a couple of posts that you want to be aware of. One is just the, the all up, the future of SharePoint. And that's kind of the aggregated summary of what the announce all the different announcements and things that were discussed today around where the the SharePoint platform is going. There's also a new uh, office blog on the SharePoint framework and that is uh, going to be a lot of what we discussed today which is the this new concept of how to 
kind of deliver extensibility in this new future of SharePoint, these new modern portals and, and things like that. So there's two good posts on Office Blogs, and we'll have the links in the show notes to those. Um, I'll only mention one non-SharePoint thing, and that is um, we do have a new Office Dev Show published this week. This is episode 28, and it's covering the new Excel APIs that are in the Microsoft Graph. This is actually really cool. You know, the, the Microsoft Graph does a lot of things. This is one of the, like, I think in terms of like demoing for someone, it has some of the coolest shock and awe because you can literally bring up a Excel workbook in the browser, run some REST queries and actually see it update. So these new Excel APIs, basically they're REST endpoints where you can manipulate a workbook that's just sitting in a SharePoint site, uh, just using REST. So it's really cool. And all the things that you can do in Office JS, you can actually do uh, here as well with with those rest endpoints. So definitely check out that show. It's like 16 minutes uh, and you'll pick up a lot out of that. So the rest of this is really all SharePoint related. So again, I think the community is getting um, a lot of uh, what they've been asking for with this show. They've been wanting more SharePoint content. So um, Eric, you have two you actually have two posts this week. Um, one really isn't so much related to the the future of SharePoint. It's kind of talking – this is something on the SP TechCon blog where you're talking about SharePoint customization and kind of the 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 journey that that's gone through in terms of – you know, we've there was a time where we – you know, I guess around 2007 when we released the feature framework and we were very gung-ho about telling people to go customize. And then we started kind of pulling back on that and saying, oh, wait, don't do custom master pages. Here's what it means. Um, and so you had kind of a really good – I thought it was a good summary of you know that, that journey that we've gone on it. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about that, Eric? Yeah, well, that one was a difficult one to write because we knew it was going to be released today prior to the announcements coming out uh, that would have a lot to do with that. As it turns out, they didn't mention it a whole lot. But I, this is a subject that has been much um, – uh, confused in many sectors, and I think part of that is because of the journey we've taken where we started off treating SharePoint as this middleware um, platform that we could build all sorts of solutions on. In fact, it's funny. Back in the day, I had a slide I gave it to TechEd that said all the things that you need to build an enterprise application. It was a bunch of blocks, and on one side, it said ASP.NET. They were individual blocks. On the other side, it said SharePoint, and 80% of the blocks were filled in for you because SharePoint did all that, and you didn't have to build it. And that made its way around internally and even out to the field. Uh, and that was – it encapsulated the vision of where we were going uh, with the product as a whole. And then over time, that changed to where recently customizations have almost been verboten uh, and just not look kindly upon from a supportability and a maintenance uh, perspective. And for good reasons in many cases. A lot of people uh, did some things they shouldn't have done. The, the framework, to be honest, was never really built to do those sorts of things. And uh, that legacy ASP.NET page model just wasn't designed for the type of stuff we were doing with it. So I think there was certainly some solid foundation for guidance moving away from heavy customizations. But the hardest part of writing that was knowing what was coming down the road, which we'll talk about later, is how the SharePoint framework is actually targeted at addressing that specific problem and how going forward 
we're completely removing that roadblock and coming back to where customizations is a first-class citizen in the SharePoint developer uh, stack. And if there's anything for people to get excited about it, that's got to be it. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things I would point out is that certainly some of the announcements today around that the new SharePoint framework, I think it is a game changer for a lot of these things. But I, at the same time, I would I'd highly encourage anyone that's in the SharePoint space, whether you're a, um, a consultant or you just have SharePoint deployed in your organization, I think this is a fantastic read um, for, for a couple reasons. One is, um, A, I think that everyone has kind of dealt with this you know, a customer coming to them saying, "Hey, we want SharePoint not to look like SharePoint. We want to do different branding." And some a lot of a lot of places that makes a lot of sense. And I think you lay that out really good here. You know, I've never understood personally. I've never understood the ROI of spending a lot of money branding like internal collaboration, like team sites. Whereas an internet, I think that makes a lot more sense. That's where you do have a, a important sense of brand. And, and so I, you do a good job in this kind of talking about kind of those two aspects. And, you know, it might make sense for, you know, if you own some Office 365, well, maybe that's not the best candidate today. Uh, maybe not so much in the future, but today, maybe that's not the best candidate for something like SharePoint Online. Maybe that's more of where you would concentrate on-premises type of activities. Um, Go ahead. I think that you have to look at utility um, versus internal brand reinforcement. Office 365 sites are brilliant for utility purposes. Uh, they're there to serve your departmental needs. Uh, Office 365 as a service offering is not meant to be an internet in a box. Uh, it's a collection of services for to serve you, uh, a various number of utilitarian functions. And if you treat it that way, then you shouldn't even be having the conversation about should we heavily brand or not, because you really shouldn't. That's not what the service is there for, in my opinion. The good news is if you want to do heavy branding, and let's face it, there are organizations out there for whom brand is everything. It's their corporate ethos. Without the brand, they are nothing. We're thinking of organizations like Apple and and Coca-Cola and BMW and even uh, places like Google where, where enforcement of their internal brand um, is very key to their overall working environment. Uh, the good news is, is that SharePoint can do that as long as you go on-premise and you're willing to make the the cost and management and maintenance sacrifices to do that on-premise. If it's really that important for you to brand, there's a product for you. Uh, we got you covered. Uh, but if you want to be nimble uh, and get latest innovations first and do utility functions in the cloud, great. Office 365 is there for you. But every time I've seen difficulty and strife around this customization question has been when you try and do the wrong things. You try and heavily brand Office 365. You try and turn SharePoint on-premise into this utilitarian um, service. So it, it really is about putting round pegs into round holes and doing the right thing with the right um, you, uh, tools that you have at your disposal. Yeah, I liked your analogy in here. I've, I've, I always kind of talk about you know, because we use the word tenant a lot. I always use the concept of a tenant and we want you to be a good tenant uh, in in the cloud. So an example of a tenant in an apartment building would be you don't want the drummer as your neighbor. Mm. You know, that's that's the guy you don't want. Um, and, you know, what I think is I, I love the analogy made here around like cars, right? A, a lease versus a buy. 
because you really are leasing space in a Microsoft cloud when you're doing something like SharePoint Online. So the example you give here is like, well, if you went and leased a car, right, you probably, the, the it's not really owned by you. It's just something that you're, in a sense, borrowing. You're paying to borrow. You're probably not going to go and trick it out with like spinners and some sort of custom paint job and all these different things. I mean, it's probably something that you could pay extra and maybe the analogy there would be like more dedicated cloud hosting. But in general, you're going to have to keep that car in a certain way and you're going to have to, um, you know, make sure that you do maintenance and things on it in a certain way. Um, And if you wanted to do all those things, you could certainly buy it, right? You could just buy the car. Uh, So I really liked that analogy. I thought it was a really good, uh, certainly hit home with me. Um, so with that, the, the rest of the updates for the week really did concentrate on the future of SharePoint and the new SharePoint framework. And so that's kind of, and I, I'll, I'll mention some of the, the players that did post. Now, a lot of these guys were like Eric and had very early visibility into what we were doing. Uh, so this is, you know, we've been working on this new, uh, SharePoint framework for a, a while now, um, and and we gave uh, a very limited subset of MVPs a glimpse of that way back in, in 2015, and we've continued to work on it since then. So a lot of these guys have been sitting on a post and, and just ready to click the, the post button on their blog. And so you saw a, a big stream of those today. So um, Eric, you you had a post, and we'll talk about, you kind of pointed out um, you know, five areas that you thought were kind of significant around this new framework. So we'll talk about those. But some of the other people that uh, made made some of these posts. Uh, so I see, you know, Doug Ware did a post on this, Andrew Connell, Mark Anderson, Waldeck, uh, Michael Svensson, uh, Paul Schaeflin, Chris O'Brien, Wichter, um, and let's see who else here. Oh, Palo did one as well. So lots of people kind of providing their thoughts and insight into this new SharePoint framework. It seems like there's a lot of excitement. Um, I would probably, I would say to some extent, cautious excitement. Uh, most of these guys have had a chance to get hands-on and and I've heard a lot of positive things. Um, and then obviously, you know, there's there are some kind of negative views to this. And you know, one of the one of the things that I read that was kind of interesting, I won't put a name to it, but um, there was some discussion around, well, it seems like, you know, every time there's a, a new version of SharePoint, there's a, a new version of development. So uh, the the SharePoint team has certainly been consistent in being inconsistent. Uh, and so we certainly, you know, take that feedback and, and understand uh, there's certainly some truth to that, but um, it, in a lot of ways, we're constantly trying to evolve and make this a, a platform that anyone can build on, and, and I think we're moving in some good directions there. So uh, with that, I, I don't know, Eric, do you want to maybe give us, for those that didn't catch the, well, even if you caught the um, the webcast today, there really wasn't a lot of detail in what we're doing. Do you want to maybe provide like, like a high-level summary of, of what what this new SharePoint framework is and, and what it's going to do for developers? 
Yeah, I think it's important to lay that foundation here so people understand what we're talking about. First and foremost, what we're not talking about is a new development model along the lines of add-ins or apps. What we are talking about is an improvement to the way that content is published uh, and consumed inside of the framework. We've had a problem for a long time, uh, going back years and years, of trying to do customizations, branding, uh, modifications to the UI on top of the legacy ASP.NET framework. And that's no diss to ASP.NET, certainly, but the way that that is built just does not lend itself to a dynamic modern um, development experience. And it certainly doesn't lend itself to doing heavy customizations uh, quickly or any type of rapid iterations around that. I think that the in a perfect world, if everyone had a crystal ball, I think the SharePoint team would have actually done this a long time ago uh, and would have liked to have done it a long time ago if they possibly could. And what that is, um, in a nutshell, is a way to provide content within the SharePoint wrapper without having to actually write server-side code, without having to deploy a master page, without having to uh, do server controls, without having to develop web parts and deploy them to the web part um, gallery via WSP, without having to do those things that are actually disruptive to the user experience and also are very difficult to do and require a high level of knowledge. Essentially, the SharePoint framework gives us two things, pages and parts. Uh, Pages being, uh, for all intents and purposes, publishing pages, Uh, although we're not really talking about the core publishing framework here. But in terms of we have pages that we can define, uh, that we have an authoring canvas, that we can place things on that canvas. And so we can put things in a responsive grid uh, or, uh, uh, you know, some specific layout that works for the content that we're trying to present. And then all of the content that we place there is driven by client-side components. Those are the parts. Uh, We're still calling them web parts, and I think we'll, unless they change things, we'll continue to call them uh, web parts. We're just developing them as first-class components rather than, you know, in add-ins, client web parts were a second-class citizen. They were just an iframe that pointed to your app that was living somewhere else. But in the SharePoint framework, those components are first class. So you're writing a web part that is a combined set of, of JavaScript and HTML, and then you're publishing it into the framework. And that web part can be, just like it was in the old days, anything you want it to be. But instead of using the server-side APIs, you'll be using the client-side APIs to communicate with the framework. They've even gone beyond and done some really cool stuff around. Uh, they've got a data broker uh, to help you manage your data requests that you're making back to the framework. Uh, they've got a caching mechanism so you can help with page rendering uh, and delivery. It's all designed to be responsive right out of the box. So the way that I've been envisioning this is if you take your classic scenario of a designer walks in with a mock-up and says, this is what we want SharePoint to look like. Here's all the components and things that we need. And then uh, previously the SharePoint 
a group of developers having to come together, try and figure all that stuff out, create all these things. It goes months and months and months of trying to write all this code to make it happen uh, before they can deliver it back. Now you can walk in with a mock-up. You can bring in, say, a SharePoint resource who knows the ins and outs, some HTML JavaScript people uh, that can sling together some of these modern things. And within a couple of weeks, you have a, a rapidly iterated, developed uh, customization that you can put in the customer's hands that that pretty much looks exactly like the mock-up without all of the uh, major caveats we used to have to put on it around, well, you have to have these server controls on the page, and we had to do this because of the layout zone, and all that other – that stuff is now goes by the wayside. You're really developing modern web apps and putting them inside of the SharePoint container. Yeah, you know, one of the things that uh, you know I think is, is interesting is some – like I think for a, someone that comes like deep from like customizing SharePoint pages, a lot of the a lot of the concepts carry over, but it's more of like a it's just been modernized, right? So in the past you still had the concept of a Chrome and and maybe placeholder main, which is like where your body content would go. Like we still have those concepts here. We still have like the Chrome and we have the body. We even have so far as to have like web part zones, although they're really called canvases now, and but they kind of act in the same sort of way where I can go and put any sort of web parts in there. And they're, they're more like, I think, I'm trying to think of the term Teeper used. I believe he, he called it just being like fast. It's like much more fast uh, because it is, is running client side. So yeah, I think, you know, as, as we have like traditional SharePoint developers kind of looking at this new model, I think they'll find a lot of the parallels beyond just the fact that we have, you know, web parts and we're able to do that client side more now. I think that's actually a very critical point. I take the criticisms that this is yet another development framework, and I get that. And it, and that was some of the key feedback that I provided around we can't treat this as ju- as yet another development framework. Um, uh, this has to be um, considered as part of the overall publishing framework of SharePoint vnext if you will going forward and what may, people may not realize especially if they watched the webcast today it, when you saw the new sites experience when you saw the new document libraries experience that's all been built with this new framework the the engineering team had to actually build the framework before they could put any of this other stuff um, on top of it so microsoft is building the new experiences in sharepoint exactly the same way that we'll be building our own customizations that's pretty huge uh, it means we're all doing the same things. They're going to open source a lot of that stuff, share uh, the way that they're uh, building internal components, be able to take that and, and learn from it. But I think coming back to your point, it's really key for developers to understand that this is not a stand-beside model. This is not, okay, go learn how to do Azure web applications and all the stuff over there. Go learn how to do provider-hosted and SharePoint-hosted apps. This is pages and web parts upgraded to be modern. It's still inside of SharePoint. It's, okay, Canvas, web part zone. Uh, essentially, as you point out, pretty much the same thing. Uh, web parts, it's still distinct components that you're delivering. It still has a, a properties panel. Uh, it still gets dropped on the page and, and moved around. So I think that, especially for our legacy developers, and let's face it, there are a lot of those out there who have not moved into this modern development world. And if there is a criticism about this, I think it's going to be around what they do with the tooling, not so much the framework itself. 
Um, these folks are going to have a really, really difficult time transitioning to what's considered modern uh, web development, you know, around doing everything in, in a text editor with uh, Node and Gulp tasks and, and, you know, grunt and all that sort of stuff uh, that's way out of their comfort zone. And I'm pretty sure the VS team, as good as DevDiv is, will will provide us a set of tools for those uh, developers used to working in Visual Studio to do this type of development. I have no doubt they will. Uh, but uh, I think they're actually going to struggle a little bit more with, okay, how do I properly build JavaScript-based um, applications rather than um, I'm trying to learn this new thing that's unfamiliar to me? Yeah, so you said one thing there that I thought that was kind of interesting is how – you know, the components that we're, we demonstrated today that are part of the product were also built using the SharePoint framework. And I think even more key than that, because honestly, if I look back, like when we introduced the feature framework, a lot of the core SharePoint functionality was features of their own. Um, but the difference is, is back then, I know as a developer, I spent a lot of time like looking at files in the hive to figure out like, well, how did they do that? Or even revert like decompiling different assemblies to try to figure out how, you know, maybe they were customizing the properties pane of a web part in, in a certain way. Whereas we're pretty committed and this is more of like a, a Microsoft all up thing with Satya as our new CEO is is that we're going to try to open source this and be very transparent in how those are built so that developers can take advantage of that. That kind of open source and and being open, it, it like you mentioned, it's kind of also trickulated into the tooling for this. Um, and you mentioned a few different tools there. And for those that didn't catch um, well it wasn't even shown in in the webcast but in some of the the side videos i know dan kogan did a, a, a microsoft mechanic show where he showed a little bit about this is uh, we've we've really tried to cater to any developer and so rather than it only working with like a visual studio template actually as it stands today we don't have the templates yet for visual studio we actually are are leveraging uh, a Yeoman generator. So we've talked about Yeoman before as a way of generating project scaffolding. I mean, that's basically, if you think about what a Visual Studio template is, that's what Yeoman does. The same for, thing. Yeah. yeah, it basically generates a project for you, a starter project. And so you'll find yourself using a lot of, if you haven't worked in that world, a lot of interesting tools that you're not necessarily familiar with. So things like Yeoman, and um, we have Gulp that is going to provide you know, different services to compile things like TypeScript, which again, you may not be familiar with things like TypeScript and be able to host a local uh, web server so that you can actually test these without even having SharePoint deployed. Um, and so there, there's going to be some, I, I agree with you. I think that there's going to be uh, an interesting challenge here around getting the you know the traditional SharePoint developers familiar with these tools, but it's something that I think you know I've gone through it. I think you've gone through it. We've even even guys on the team. Uh, I hope I don't know if he'll not like me saying this, but one of the guys that's actually building this framework is um, Chax. Chax has been on the show a few times. If I talked to Chax a year ago, he hated JavaScript. Absolutely, like despised it. Wouldn't touch it. And um, he's singing a different tune here. Do you think, Eric, do you, do you think you mentioned that 
you feel like this is something that we could have done in the past? Do you think part of it is the maturity of client-side development with things like TypeScript? Is that making it easier for us to deliver something like this these days? I think there's a large element uh, to that. I, I think not just TypeScript, but when you look at, we now have enterprise JavaScript frameworks and things like Angular and React where we um, are starting to address the types of issues in the client-side development uh, environment uh, or, or ecosystem, as it were, that we've taken for granted doing ASP.NET Visual Studio development for years and years and years. All this stuff is already baked into Visual Studio. You don't need all of these tools. It's already there. And to a certain degree, we've gotten really complacent by that. One place to go, it does everything for us. We have IIS on the server, problem solved. Uh, but if you're outside of that world, it it's not so simple. There's a lot of moving components to try and get that stuff uh, to work. I think that we're at an inflection point right now where the complexity of all those moving parts is going to turn a lot of people off, especially coming from the ASP.NET uh, development world. Uh, they're they're not going to be comfortable with doing all these things and supporting all this stuff. And, and let's be honest, some of these come and go uh, pretty quickly. Uh, but I think the important takeaway here is that as we, you and I have been trying to communicate to developers for the better part of the last three years is you need to upskill yourself into this new way of doing things, of JavaScript being a first-class development platform within the enterprise. Uh, how you do your JavaScript, well, that's up to you. What frameworks you want to use, where you can do almost all of it in Visual Studio now. You could do a good portion of it in Visual Studio Code. Um, if you want, heck, you can do most of it in Notepad if you want to. Um, the, you have a lot of options uh, there. I think it's a, a bit of a red herring to say we're going to expand the community and we're going to bring in all these people who haven't done development uh, SharePoint development before. That hasn't happened over the last three years. It's not really going to happen because those people, quite frankly, don't want to do um, SharePoint development at all or Office development. Some do. We, we've certainly attracted some from around the fringes, but um, uh, I think if we were to try and go to the whole .NET community and say, okay, great, here we go. Everything is now um, JavaScript and you build it all on a Mac. Uh, the, that there's going to be a big turnoff from the community for that. So I think the tooling part is important, uh, and it probably had something to do with why it took a little bit longer to get to this than where we were before, because internally that wasn't a Microsoft thing. That's not the legacy of where Microsoft development comes from. Uh, I'm sure they would probably have followed an MVC path long before they had done um, something like this. But the core target of we want to build a responsive framework that sits on top of SharePoint uh, that, that customers can change as they see fit without uh, impacting the uh, the underlying platform. I think they've wanted to do that certainly for a long time. Yeah. What is? Uh, do you have any uh, tips for developers um, for maybe like th that are interested in modernizing their skills and getting more into um, some of these open source technologies? Like, like I like I think back on like what really sold me. I think it wasn't even things like jQuery, but to me, I think what sold me on, okay, this is pretty serious from a, a, a client-side perspective was exactly what you said, is when an enterprise framework that actually allowed me to bind data. I mean, we're always working with data, and, and actually being able to do like real data binding in JavaScript was, 
I think a turning point for me. Do, do, is there a technology or is there something that like kind of you recommend developers in modernizing their skills for kind of this new world? Well, I think if you're an MVC developer, I think it's an obvious and natural transition to go to Angular. Uh, knockout to a certain degree, but I think Angular is much closer to what we see as traditional MVC development. It much easier for me to understand Angular than something like React. I'm, I'm still not even sure I really do understand React. Uh, but Angular makes sense to me. I, I can understand we've got routes and, and bindings and, and declarations and uh, uh, directives and these other things. So all of that sort of made sense to me. It took a while for me to understand project structure and where things live and and just getting into the JavaScript way of thinking around everything's asynchronous. And then you have all the, the your promises and uh, requests and all that sort of stuff. Uh, I like to start folks out small with just doing, uh, you know, a, some simple um, apps, just building a basic JavaScript uh, application. There's a ton of Angular samples out there that can help get you um, started. And many of them you can build from inside of JavaScript. Uh, Visual Studio. Look, I'm old school. I love Visual Studio. Always have, always will. Uh, that's my preferred IDE. Um, VS Code is quickly becoming my second favorite IDE, but I still like to do, I'm comfortable inside of Visual Studio. I like to go create a new project and have everything there in VS. You can do that um, with, you can download the community version. It's free. Start plugging in uh, this stuff. You now have node packaging managers inside of Visual Studio, although if you've got IS on your box, why would you ever use Node? That To me, that's just ridiculous. But um, uh, if you don't, then it obviously makes all the sense in the world. But if you do, you already have all that stuff and a whole lot more. Um, so I would start with with maybe some simple Angular or maybe even some simple React uh demo code samples and start get and the reason to start there is because if you start learning those frameworks you'll start to learn to do things in a structured manner uh, and you'll learn the javascriptiness of it around especially around typescript typescript is hard to get your head around um, at first but once you start thinking of it this is the way I think of it maybe it's wrong but I think of it as this is kind of C sharp for remember when we went this from C plus plus to C sharp, um, we're now objectifying everything in JavaScript, and to me, it's like I'm replacing JavaScript with C sharp. Everything is object oriented. I've got my classes and methods, and it it took a couple days, but once I really got into it, it really started making sense um, to me. And I, if you jump in and start learning Angular two with uh, TypeScript, uh, you start to learn all the prerequisites for what you're going to need. You're going to need to learn how to do node packaging managers. You need to get, learn how to do Gulp and all that. It's part of the process, and there's so many tutorials for it. I think that's an ideal starting point. So one of the, you know, kind of bringing it back to the SharePoint discussion, one of the things I think is really unique is that with this new SharePoint framework, we're uh, allowing you to use whatever you like to use client side. So if that's jQuery, use jQuery. If you want to use Bootstrap, use Bootstrap. Although we, I, I will say w the framework is going to be deployed with the Office UI fabric so that if you, again, if you're building a web part, you probably want it to look like it fits nicely into SharePoint. So Bootstrap might not be quite as um, 
interesting of a, a, a framework to use. But if you want to use React, use React, use Angular, whatever you want. Interestingly, like th- this isn't this isn't going to be a, a world of iframes. So things are going to sit natively on the page. You're going to be able to host your JavaScript wherever you want on like a, a CDN somewhere. And you ultimately can use any of these tools you want. So we've we've come up with a way to where um, that can be done safely and not necessarily, uh, I guess, compromise other things on the page or get into different like script contentions where um, you know one script messes up something else because two different web parts use different things. But it's going to allow us to have these responsive sites as well. That's a really good thing. Um, everything you just said is exactly where we've needed to go for the past few years. We just haven't been able to do it because the core framework didn't support it, but now it does. Uh, so whatever method you want to use, whatever you find easiest, and, and I really recommend that people try a couple of different things. You know, Try Knockout, try React, try Angular. Um, see which makes the most sense to you uh, and use that because the framework's going to it doesn't even really support it. It's agnostic. It doesn't care uh, which one of those you use. And if you're one of these folks that likes to try the latest and greatest JavaScript framework that comes out every other day, fine. Do that. Um, uh, that works as well. Uh, you can develop from any platform. You know, I'm I'm really excited, as, as you know, you're a recent convert over into the, the dark side of the Mac OS, um, and I've been here for a while myself. I like the ability to just spin up VS Code on my Mac and start cranking out some code uh, and building solutions uh, that I can actually deploy directly from my machine without having to go log into a VM because that's where I have my uh, Visual Studio and all my SharePoint stuff uh, running. And he- here's the point that I really want to hammer home for people. This is going to work in the cloud and on-premise the exact same way. Maybe not immediately. Obviously, we're in a cloud-first world, so things go to the cloud, then a feature pack will bring it down to um, SharePoint on-premise. But you're going to build the same solutions for the cloud that you do for on-premise. Okay, maybe there's more endpoints you can leverage in the cloud. There's more stuff you can take advantage of, but your core solutions are essentially going to be the same. Man, that's huge for hybrid organizations that have a bunch of stuff in the cloud and a bunch of stuff on-premise, and they can't go 100%. Um, either way, one solution works everywhere. Ha, brilliant. And, and you know, we tried to, in a sense, disguise the add-in model to say, well, that 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 works there as well, but it was pretty significant the differences you had to do. Now maybe maybe the the clients or SharePoint hosted add-ins was relatively close, but if you looked at things like doing a a provider hosted add-in, the auth flows were completely different between the two. Yeah. Whereas here, like we're truly saying that it's going to be uh, identical between the two. Um. One of the things that I liked the most here is, um, you know, I, I have I, I did tons and tons of work in in SharePoint add-ins when we first kind of introduced those or apps add-ins, whatever we want to call them. Um, and one of the biggest groundbreaking things was is I didn't I no longer needed like the big, huge, bulky laptop that ran SharePoint locally. Um, even if I was ultimately building for on-premises, I could do a lot of my work uh, against the cloud. I could work against Office 365 and maybe switch out some of the off things later on. The downside of this is I still had to be connected to the internet. And so when I wanted to do things like maybe 
um, jump on an airplane and try to be productive. Uh, you know, I, I think the Wi-Fi that are on airplanes today are it's completely almost useless. It's so slow. Um, one of the cool things they announced today was, or if you look at kind of the details, is that you're going to be able to do all debugging locally without a SharePoint farm. So there's this thing called the SharePoint Workbench that I'm going to be able to use. Uh, it's going to look like SharePoint, but it's really just kind of a shim that helps you test out some of your components. Yeah, that's a great thing. Um, I, I think we got to be a bit careful not to overstate what the uh, workbench will be able to do. If you're doing a lot of heavily data-dependent stuff, querying a lot of lists in the user profile service and manage metadata and whatnot, then the, the workbench isn't going to help you a whole lot there with the data pieces of your solution. Uh, but quite frankly, most of those should be abstracted anyway, uh, and you should be able to mock most of that into your uh, solution. The workbench is really there for to give us what we never had before. I mean, let's for, first of all, let me back up. I remember distinctly the conversation you and I had at at the Dallas Fort Worth User Group, where you walked in when you had that small little Lenovo. You had just gotten it. You were so excited that you didn't have to carry that Lenovo W520 with you. Um, and and I was still lugging the big Lenovo around at the same time. And I thought, man, I I wish I got to work on all the cool new stuff all the time like Rich does because I wouldn't need this big heavy thing either. Um, and but now we've come full circle. Well, that's the norm now. Uh, we don't need all that bulky um, infrastructure. Uh, we still need connectivity to to test out live data feeds uh, and whatnot. But the workbench gives us what we never had in Visual Studio, which is the ability to see what we're doing as we're working on it, rather than the painful process of deploying to SharePoint, going through the app pool recycles, waiting for it to render, et cetera, et cetera. Even though that got better with tooling, um, and certainly in the in the 2010 and 2013 iterations, it was still painful. Now it's all right there in the browser for the most part, and we can see what we're doing immediately, and we can do rapid um, change on the platform. I have to tell you, for the better part of the last couple of years, I've been supporting a, a suite of products that's all legacy on-premise full trust code. Um, and the amount of time that I spend waiting just for WSPs to deploy and IS resets to happen and things to render on a page means I'm 30% less productive or 40% less productive than I can be writing new modern lightweight uh, applications uh, that I can immediately uh, iterate with. So I think the workbench is going to really help people. It's kind of like, I know you've done some Azure web apps, and it's kind of like Azure web apps where we can just F5 deploy, it pushes it up to an Azure website for us, and we can immediately see what's going on. It's kind of like that, but even faster. Um, one other thing that I thought was really interesting about today, uh, and this is something that actually was a surprise to me because I had heard rumors that we weren't going to actually support this, but I'm really pleased to hear we are, is as you have seen, we're, we're kind of shifting in a lot of ways what's been a traditional team site and kind of moving to like these like modern team sites, right? And and groups are are one area that have started to cloud that up. We're we're investing a lot at Microsoft into this group concept, which certainly le lends itself a lot to Office 365 because all the services are already connected there. But even like today, we we talked about kind of our modern vision for team sites shifting to a more modern user interface. And I don't think that. 
you know, I know that a, a lot of organizations that work collaboratively, they're going to want, I think, that traditional team side experience. That's what they're used to. And, they're, and, it, and it doesn't – I don't know that like a modern team side is a one-size-fits-all thing, especially I think about like – you know, think about a team that works on like millions and millions of documents. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's something that's not necessarily going to fit nicely into some of these new views. One of the things I really liked is that we said that these new client web parts are still going to be supported in the older version of team sites. Again, that was something that I was actually surprised by. I didn't think we were going to be supporting that. That's I had heard rumor that it wasn't, that you had to go with this new page framework, but um, another kind of, I guess, curveball by Redmond that they're going to actually support that moving forward. Yeah, I was a little surprised by that as well. Same as you. Uh, I'd heard the same things that you had heard. Uh, and I was just prepared to accept that and say, well, okay, if we want the new stuff, we got to use the new model. And that's just how it is. But I, being able to go back to existing on-premise customers and say, or even cloud customers and say, look, we don't have to throw away the investment we have already. Here's this new cool client part we developed. We'll just drop it into your existing 800 team sites. Uh, and then you know, we can do these more uh, involved canvases going forward. So I think that's a really good um, thing. Uh, I, I think that we don't want to oversell these consumerization features, right? So the Delve and the modern team sites and the new document library are great from a consumer-based perspective. But as you mentioned, when you're working with thousands upon thousands of documents, none of this stuff does you any good. I, I am not a fan of the Instagram card-based UI. It doesn't work for me at all. Uh, so it's really good news that we don't have to do that just to take advantage of, of some of these new innovations. And I, and I hope they stick to this um, and they really can deliver on this uh, because there, as you rightly mentioned, there are a lot of people for whom it, either they can't change from the old team site model or they don't want to or like me, they're resistant to the new UI, not because I'm resistant to something new, uh, but just because I don't like that particular metaphor. Um, I think that being able to service both of those um, communities of people who can't change, that's going to be big to the adoption of this, I think. Yeah, and you know, even the customers that want to change, I mean, I think Microsoft sometimes trivializes, hey, here's some new features, just start using them. But there's there's a lot of change management and training that needs to go into place to to I mean, a lot of times I remember just a couple months ago our blogs, the MSDM blogs switched over to uh WordPress finally. And Man, I went in there for the first time like, I can't find anything. I was used to doing it this one way, and I'm a pretty savvy technologist. But, you know, you change something like that, and um, all of a sudden everyone's lost. And, and so, you know, it's, it's something that it's nice because we can, uh, from a developer standpoint, how we deliver an experience, we can, we can use this modern way. Um, however, we can uh, kind of ease users into maybe a more modern side over time, if it makes sense for them. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Cool. Well, do you have any any other like general thoughts or anything we didn't discuss about the uh, announcements today? Or Well, I think that we're going to be having a lot of conversations over the next few months, certainly the next year, over the SharePoint framework and, and what it means. Uh, we don't have the particulars yet. A lot of details are left on 
the table. Uh, that will come out in the wash as we start to get our hands on this stuff. I would, what I would tell developers primarily is please don't see this as yet another framework that you have to learn. See this as a tool set we've been given to do something we've wanted to do for a really long time, which is to make deep customizations uh, on the product that are fully supported. Uh, that mean you don't have to essentially break SharePoint just to make it look the way you want to look. I think we've got categories now. We've got um, add-ins. Uh, for doing value-add extensions to the platform and plugins. We've got Azure Web Apps for doing these lightly connected or non-contextual full immersive web app experiences um, that are stand beside but still have some connectivity back um, into the Office 365 suite of services. Um, neither of those did any good with customizations at all. We know the issues around the JavaScript injection and, and the various things we tried to do, the, the existing client web parts and stuff. Those were not designed to um, – handle the customization. So we had a gap, a very big gap, and we now have the, the framework uh, to solve that problem, to fill that particular gap. And if you've been do if you've been following what you and I and others have been saying over the last few years of get skilled up on this JavaScript stuff, get learn the modern web development stuff, it actually, uh, other than the particulars of it's a web part that's going in a canvas and whatnot, I'm doing the same thing I've been doing for the last 18 months. I'm I'm building, whether it's my add-ins that are all Angular and JavaScript-based or my Azure web apps that are mostly HTML and, and JavaScript, and now my framework components, they're all still pretty much the same set of technologies. So I'm really glad they didn't make a liar out of me, uh, and that I've been telling everybody to skill up, and then they flipped it on me, and you actually don't need those. So <laughs> that, that's that's helpful for my own credibility, if nothing else. Um, uh, but see this as an as another tool in your toolbox to, that when the designer comes to you and says, I've got to do this thing, you can go, yes, absolutely, we can do that. Um, and the world's your oyster, whatever you want to do, we can build that thing. Awesome. Well, we're going to have a lot more discussion on this framework over the, like, like Eric said, over the next few months. Um, as more information trickles out of Redmond, we'll make sure that we stay on top of it. I'm going to try to get uh, Dan Kogan and some of the guys on his team um, on a podcast maybe next week. Um, I'll, I'll see what I can do about that, try to get them on and you know hear directly from them on some of the things they're doing. Uh, just from a timeline standpoint, for those that didn't catch up on it, uh, what we're looking for with this framework is it's first going to be previewed in uh, SharePoint Online for our first look customers around Q3. So um, look at it like maybe uh, mid to late summer. Or, or early fall. And then again, it's something that we're planning on releasing into SharePoint server as well. So there was some discussion today. We really didn't get a chance to talk about it on the show, but um, about kind of uh, being able to slipstream these new capabilities at a better uh, cadence into SharePoint server. So this isn't something that even though we GA'd SharePoint server 2016 today, you're not going to have to wait two, three years to see this framework. It's something that will show up there a lot more uh, soon than that. So um, definitely check out the the posts that are attached to the uh, podcast. Uh, lots, of, lots of different MVP perspective, great MVP perspective on the different things that were announced. And then obviously the official... Um, office blogs 
that the the product teams put out with all the information. So definitely check it out. And um, if you have questions, certainly you can shoot them my way. Eric, where can people find you? Uh, easiest is on my blog at SharePointCowboy.com, or uh, they can always find me on Facebook at SharePointCowboy, or occasionally on Twitter at uh, at eShops. Excellent. So uh, definitely check Eric, his, his posts out, and, and uh, follow him if, if you're not already. And uh, Eric, thanks for being on the show. It's always a pleasure to have you. You're a popular guy in the community, so it's, it's wonderful. Well, thanks for having me on, Richard. I appreciate it. Awesome. All right. Well, have a good one, and uh, we'll see you guys next week.